Well, good morning, everyone. Is Jesus better? We just sang of that, didn't we? And the term better is, uh, I was just thinking about this, it's a term of comparison, isn't it? Whenever we say something is better, it's, you, you have to connect it to something else. It's, and that something else is lesser than the better, right? And I always, my mind always goes to uh, the 63rd Psalm where it says in the third verse, your loving kindness is better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. There are, other, there are better things for us to contemplate today than the commandment that we have to study. As I invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 20. And the 13th verse, the, indeed the shortest of all the Ten Commandments. And the one that we'll probably all agree with but perhaps haven't considered as deeply as we need to. How's that? Exodus chapter 20. There's a cartoon out there where you have two administrators uh, watching the kids come back to school in the fall. They're standing and talking to one another as as the kids are going through a a, a kind of metal detector-like machine as they walk into the school. And the one administrator is saying to the other, "This, uh, this machine has the latest and technology. If any one of these kids tries to get into the school with a knife, a gun, a bomb, or a copy of the Ten Commandments, the light will go off. Here it is. You shall not murder. Okay? Now, the King James has not been vogue for a long time, but some things just stick. Because most of you learned it as what? Thou shalt not say it. Kill, right? That just sticks. Every single modern translation since, even the New King James, has translated it the way it should be translated, as murder. But as I said, something just sort of stick. This is the shortest of all the Ten Commandments. Just two words in the Hebrew, okay? And indeed, people will push back against almost all of the other commandments, but they won't push back on this one. I'm thinking pretty much everybody agrees, not a good idea to kill people. The Hebrew word kill uh, means the premeditated, means to have a, it means the premeditated taking of another or an innocent person's life. It is the deliberate killing of a personal enemy. That's another way in which it's, it's used. It is used uh, for crimes of passion in the Bible, as well as voluntary manslaughter. It's even used for accidental deaths. Though unintentional, if you cause the death, death of someone accidentally, you are still culpable to some degree. This is the reason why uh, Moses wrote of the cities of refuge in Deuteronomy 4. There's like six of them where people could flee if they accidentally killed somebody. And you say, if they made it into that city of refuge, and yet they were stuck there until the death of the high priest. One Hebrew scholar has translated this verse You shall not kill unlawfully, and that's probably a good translation. You shall not kill unlawfully. But we do kill, don't we? How do we kill? That's the question I'm going to pose to you today, and I'm going to suggest eight ways in which we do. Some of you are saying, I thought I watched the video, I thought there was only seven. I I said seven, but my arithmetic's not real good. I got eight of them here, so there you go. 
The answer, however, is we kill both justly and unjustly, okay, in the ways in which we kill. And we'll look at both the just and the unjust ways in which we do. First, the just means are ways by which we kill. Here's the first one, okay? By judicial mandate. That's the government getting involved. As you've heard me say on many occasions, God has designed three pillars in every society that hold up that society. One is the church, one is the family, and the other is the government. Now, the death penalty, and as if you're watching online or you're here in this sanctuary this morning, I don't know where you're coming from. You may be one who would say, yeah, bring it on, the death penalty. That's not a good attitude, by the way. Uh, but you might be on the other side and say, no, no, never, there's never any, death penalty is never warranted. Well, let's just let the Bible give us the answer, okay? Our attitudes are always important, but it, this is, we, we're looking at truth right now, okay? The death penalty, per se, was actually instituted by God himself for the execution of criminals of great or grievous crimes like rape or, most importantly, as we're talking about here, murder. And this is really the, this is almost a haymaker verse. I'm going to show it to you. As Noah is coming out of the ark, they've been vegetarians up until now. God says you can start eating meat. But he says this, and it's very insightful. He says, whoever sheds The blood of man, watch it, because this is what I would underline in my Bible if I were underlining. By man shall his blood be shed. Notice that man has been given the onus of responsibility to execute by judicial mandate capital punishment upon the perpetrator of a grievous crime like a rape or a murder. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, there's the instrument, Shall his blood be shed? As someone has said, a murderer kills God in effigy. How do we know that? Because of the last line. This is the reason why God has given the responsibility of man to perform capital punishment in these extreme cases. Because God made man in his own what? Image. We call this the imago Deo. We have been made in the image of God. And so when a murderer kills, takes the life of someone, they are killing God in effigy. As we've been saying all along, these New Testament have counterparts in the New, these Old Testament commandments have counterparts in the New Testament, and this one is no different. Let me show you this one from Romans chapter 13. Take a look at it. This is where we're told to obey the government. But if you do wrong, Paul writes, be afraid, for he, or the government, does not bear the sword And swords weren't used for shaving. In vain. For he, that's the government again, is a servant of God. Watch this, an avenger. Now wait a minute. God says, vengeance is mine. I will, says the Lord, right? God is the repair. And yet the very word is used here. As God uses government as the very arm of justice. Calling it. Or him, he personalizes the government here, an avenger who carries out God's wrath upon the wrongdoer. Now listen carefully to this. The purpose of capital punishment as instituted by God in a just system, 
Okay? I'm qualifying my words here. The purpose of capital punishment in a just system is not to take another life, but to save others' lives. It was instituted by God to prevent murderers from murdering again. And I know someone quickly says, well, what do you do about Jesus' line to turn the other cheek? He did say that, and we are to do that. When it is personally against you and me. A, a personal crime against you, does, when, when someone personally does something to me, or to you, it gets up your ire. It gets up your vengeance. You want to do something about it, right? But God doesn't give us that right. As followers of Jesus, we're told to restrain ourselves and even forgive. But it is the government's job to execute justice. I talked to somebody just the other day, not about a capital crime, but a serious crime that had taken place. This individual, uh, you know, he had, he was, his propensity was to desire to forgive, to let this thing go, to show mercy, which I love that. Every Christian should have that propensity in a situation like that. And yet, this was a crime. And because it was a crime of great, of really quite a level of crime, it really needed, needs to be turned over to the governmental authorities and let them you know, deal with it. So there's the first mandate. That is, judicial mandate is a just reason for death. And, or killing, and secondly, by killing in self-defense. This seems pretty, you know, axiomatic. It seems pretty self-evident. But not everybody would agree with this, especially nowadays where everything's being so muddled. I want you to look at this very intriguing verse from the Old Testament where it says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So if somebody, you're sleeping, it's in the dead of night, 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody breaks through your window... You pull out your Smith & Wesson and you blow them away. I'm not recommending that. But if you do, he's saying, you're okay. They've intruded. This is where you get your stand your ground law today. It's a good law, actually. Uh, but if you'll notice the interesting thing in verse 3 says, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. Very interesting. The, verse 3 sort of leaves room for a kind of mercy even upon the intruder in daytime. That's why we let these court systems work these things out from time to time. All this is based off of Scripture. But notice it's self-defense. It's not self-vengeance. Again, Romans 12, 19, I, you know, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So as long, listen, listen to this. For those of you who feel like you've been, you know, you've had a situation, a crime against you and the you know, the penalty wasn't exacted as it, as it was because it's not a perfect system for sure. As long as a just God exists, no one will ever get away with a crime. Let's move on. Here's a third and final reason for a just reason for killing. And I'm going to spend a little more time on this because this one is where it gets just a little dicey sometimes with us. By killing in warfare. This question comes to me all the time. I'm just going to categorically state something, and I want you to listen carefully to these words. There is such a thing as a just war. If not, the Lord himself would not have repeatedly instructed the Israelites to engage in warfare. Furthermore, when a nation's life and liberty 
is threatened or attacked. War is just, and therefore warriors and their fighting, yes, killing skills are justly necessary. I'll say that again. When a nation's life and liberty is threatened or attacked, war is just, and therefore warriors and their fighting, yes, killing skills are justly necessary. This is why, and this is really fascinating to me, by the way, I love this part of my study. The Hebrew Bible has at least, count them, not one, two, three, eight different words for killing. Why do I point that out? Because there are different words used for the execution of someone by governmental mandate versus words used for a soldier who kills an enemy in mortal combat. And you have no idea how important this truth is to a veteran, to a soldier who's come back home, like a dear friend of mine who's a brand new Christian, had the joy of leading to Christ, who, had, who fought valiantly in one of the most epic battles of one of our recent wars. In fact, this battle is actually on, it was actually documented on several programs. He was involved in it. He wasn't a soldier who theoretically killed somebody. He killed him, and he knows he did. And he's told me as such. This is hard on a man or a woman if they're involved in mortal conflict. But they need to know that God uses different words, and the Bible purposely uses different words as God's way of allying guilt, taking away the guilt that often comes with our war veterans. And I'm thankful. And I'm just doing a little, well, no, not just yet. I'm going to deviate just a little bit, but not just yet. I'm thankful as a U.S. citizens, citizen. rather, And I, I marvel over God's hand of blessing upon our country. Don't you? You should. And if my nation theology is accurate, I think the reason why God has blessed our country these couple of hundred years are basically twofold. The Christian influence within and without, the missionary influence without, spreading the gospel across the nations, and the support of Israel according to Genesis chapter 12. I think those principal reasons are the way, reasons why God has given us mercy, but I don't know if that mercy is going to hold out much longer. I have personally, to be just Full disclosure, I have personally struggled with our government's justification of some of its wars in my own lifetime. But never, never should we go without honoring those soldiers of ours who fight valiantly as, and our veterans and, of course, those who pay the ultimate price for freedom and its protection. But what about those people who say, no to government. I grew up thinking all forms of civil disobedience were cowardly acts. And I was wrong in my thinking. And you would be too, if that's the way you think. There is a biblical justification. There is biblical warrant for disobeying through civil disobedience government. Let me give you four of them here, okay? Quickly. When government forbids us to worship, like Daniel, remember Daniel chapter 6? 
The edict comes down, worship nobody but the king. He goes to the same place, same, and does what he does. Daniel 6 faces the consequences. When government commands the worship of an idol or a person, as they did in Daniel 2, when Nebuchadnezzar erected the image, his own image in the plain of Dura and called everyone, when the band struck up the, the noise, to bow down. And you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know where Daniel was, taking a vacation or something. Anyway, they didn't. And you have a correlation today in the hermit nation of North Korea. Thirdly, when the government orders the killing of children. Now, the government isn't ordering that here. We're really close. But like Exodus 1 and Pharaoh and the Israelites and, of course, the Chinese government today, they will pay a big price for this. And fourth, when government forbids the preaching of the gospel, as in the early chapters of the book of Acts, or across the world in the nations that suppress Christianity. And in all of those cases, the genuine follower of Jesus Christ must stand up with Peter and say, we must obey God rather than men. Amen? Now here's where it gets sticky. If a government engages in an unjust war or says, you can no longer gather to worship. Now we're getting closer to home. A follower of Jesus is therefore bound by the word of God and his conscience and in obedience to God to resist and refuse the government. But be ready because what was afforded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might not be afforded you. You'll ha- Jesus will still be with you in the fiery furnace, but you just might turn into ashes. That's okay. You go to heaven. It's a good deal. Here's where I want to just be two things very personally, if I may, in this environment that we're living in. Two things. Okay. First of all, I want to go on record and publicly express my gratitude for the governor of the state of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. Amen? I thank the Lord for her, and I wrote her a personal thank you just the other day. And let her know how much I appreciate her courage to stand up in these days against an onslaught of disgusting, unchristian pressure that she's receiving. And we need to pray for her. And then... You know, anybody who knows me knows that one of my heroes, he's still alive, he's 81 years old, is John MacArthur. I mean, the guy, I feel like the man discipled me. I've met him on different occasions. We're close friends. That's not true. He doesn't even know who I am. But I love that man. And, uh, and whether you agree with him or not on this, here he is in California, which has used extraordinary pressures upon the churches there, telling them they can't even sing. Are you kidding me? Finally, MacArthur has said, enough is enough. You're, you're, you're violating our First Amendment's right, rights you're, with this intrusion. And he's called his entire church back. And they're back worshiping together. Now, whether you agree with that or not, we don't have the same kind of pressures up on us here in Iowa. They could be. But would we be that courageous? I praise the Lord for him. Here's what we can do. We can pray. Let's do that right now. God in heaven, right now we lift up, we lift up our own governor, Governor Kim Reynolds. We 
thank you for her and for her courage under duress. Continue to uphold her and strengthen her and give her the courage that she has demonstrated thus far. She's not perfect. She hasn't been squeegee clean. But who among us are? Help her, we pray. And we, as we do our best to submit to these authorities, please bless her, we pray. And all of our senators and representatives, legislators of all kinds, we ask your blessing upon. And dear God, we pray for Dr. John MacArthur. We love him. We praise you for him. He's been a great man of God for an entire generation, sounding forth the word of God and leading the way with so many of us and now taking this courageous stand to bring his church back together. And God, whether we agree or disagree with how he's doing it, he's doing it because he senses in his conscience as it's bound to your word to do this in obedience. We ask that you would help him and encourage him. He's up against fines. He's up against possible jail time. Protect, bless, and exploit your own name through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's three just ways in which we can kill. Let's go to the unjust because there's more of them. By killing yourself. How's that? Suicide. The Bible tells us my times are in God's hands, his hands. Psalm 31, verse 15. That's what David wrote, and it's true. Job said, Man's days are determined, and God has decreed the number of his months and set boundaries on them, which he cannot exceed. Have you ever read that? So, suicide is self-murder. It is sin. It is wrong. It is never right. And I don't have time and won't take the time, and I'm not qualified as a psychoanalyst, to analyze all the reasons people commit suicide. I know there's no question, but that mental duress, illness, depression play huge roles. And I have personally witnessed the collateral, the colossal and collateral damage that suicide does in families. I was at a camp speaking this last week, and I couldn't believe it. There's a guy standing right in front of me with this shirt on, and when I saw what it had written on the back, I just pulled my camera. I took a picture. Here it is. Your body's not a temple. It's an amusement park. That's pretty amusing. Enjoy the ride. Anthony Bourdain? Does anybody know who Anthony Bourdain is? The culinary guy? He often, he killed himself. This is a Christian. Do you really want to tout the wisdom of a guy who kills himself? It was camp. I didn't confront him. <laughs> On a serious note. You can take that down. <laughs> if you regularly entertain thoughts of suicide, hear me, that is not normal. That's not normal. You have capitulated to your own sin nature. And I understand and I, I understand there are, there are mental issues with this, depressionary issues with this, and I don't get them. But know this, it's not normal. And if you go through with it, remember the toll 
that you leave on your loved ones and the mess that you leave for them to clean up. Here is what I would just simply say to you. This is an unjust way of killing. It always has been. It always will be. Get help. Go to your pastors. Go to your doctor. Get with your friends. Open yourself up. Get the help you need. There's help, and we urge you to do so. Secondly, by killing our weakest. That's the next one I want to talk about, by killing our weakest. And there's, this is almost, I'm not going to get them all in here, but I'll just start with a story. When um, my brother Mike had a baby, uh, she was not responding to normal, normally like a normal baby would. And he, and through, so he and his wife took her through a battery of tests, and finally they, the special audiologist realized that she wasn't just deaf, she was profoundly deaf. There was not any hearing in her whatsoever. And the audiologist shared this with my brother. As he shared it with me, he was just downcast. He was looking at his baby who would never hear. And, um, but what he didn't know is the audiologist was a Christian and a fervent Christian at that. The audiologist knew that my brother was a pastor. So without my brother knowing, he sat down next to my brother. His head was down. And he opened up the Bible. He said, Mike, let me encourage you with this. And this is what he showed him. The Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Or deaf? Or seeing? Or blind is not I the Lord is that like the coolest verse in the whole Bible right there like the coolest right there and it just lifted up my brother's spirit what a man of God that was in the moment but some would say discard them in the first century they'd say discard them they're not worth it but God says I hold sacred all life And the darkest places in hell are reserved for those who kill unborn babies, euthanize the sick and elderly. Now, mind you, there's a big difference between actively killing someone and simply allowing a terminally ill and dying person to die with dignity. I get that, and you should too. And by the way, if you've never watched someone die in the loving care of one of our local hospices, you should. There is still, there is still an element of beauty out there in society. And I praise God for those who work in hospice. They are, they, they really are human angels. And what about the burden of the intellectually challenged? I'm using the politically correct term, by the way. Jeez. But what about them? What about the intellectually challenged? I mean, seriously, are they not a burden? Or does God cause and call all life sacred? I'll come back to that one. Here's a third unjust way in which we kill. You kill with your anger. Now we're messing with you. You kill with your anger. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've never killed anybody? 
If you've ever talked to somebody about Jesus, you've heard him say that. And I always think, you know, I'm a sports enthusiast, and there's a, there's a, a former football coach. He's a, he's a football analyst. His name is Lee Corso. He's in a group of guys every Saturday morning before college games, and, and they're all talking about how I, Alabama's going to beat Auburn, and he, the guy next to him makes his prediction, and Lee Corso is famous for always going, not so fast, my friend. If you're one of those people who says, I've never killed anybody, I would say, not so fast, my friend. You ever been angry? Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5. Some of you already know this. Have you heard, or you have heard, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Amen. Let's be, no, there's more. But I say to you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, you empty head, you brainless, raka, that's the word, will be liable for the hell of fire. That's serious stuff, isn't it? Anybody angry in here this morning? I had somebody come to me just the other day at camp after I preached just a puddle of tears, young man with a family. He just said, I'm so angry. I'm always angry. He was a murderer, and he didn't even know it. And I told him as much. I said, look, I said, do you ever pray with your wife? No. I guess we pray over meals. You never pray like when you go to bed together or get up? No. By the way, listen, if you struggle with anger, take my counsel on this. It's the only counsel I know that has been successful to get over anger. There are two things, fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. That's what you need to do. I told this man, I said, here's what I want you to do. Hey, what would your wife think if you, if you got a hold of her tonight before you went to bread and said, let's pray? Oh, man, she wouldn't know what to do. I said, well, that's what you're going to do then. And this is camp. They got like, you know, you got about two feet to sleep on. I don't know how he pulled it off. But he, he came to me the next day crying. He did just that. He held his wife and said, let's pray. She goes, what? <laughs> she couldn't believe it. They started praying together. I mean, this is early in the game. You pray for that guy. But he was killing. He was murder. Didn't even know it. Some of you are too. Let's keep messing with you. Number four, by killing with your words. You don't have to be angry to kill somebody with your words. I know. I've done... I've killed a few people with my words. Now, it's important that sometimes we have to hurt to heal. I get that, but there's a fine line there. Let's let the writer of Proverbs speak for it. He says, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword. The Hebrew says, sword thrust. Pictures the idea. Some of you have been on a killing spree since this morning. I had somebody come up to me in the last service and just admitted as much. And praise God for the resurrection of confession. Amen? So if you just admit this, you agree with God. That's what it means when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah! But we kill with our words. And here's the last one. This is what I'm going to guess most of you haven't considered. Maybe you've considered the rest, but maybe not this one. How about this? We kill by our complacency. Now, here's a story you're more than familiar with. So, you remember the story Jesus told the story. And imagine he's telling this to Jews. 
It says there's a man, he's walking along one day, and somebody accosts him, beats him, beats him to a pulp. He's within, within an inch of his life, laying there in a bloody mess. And along come a priest and a Levite. Now, according to the Bible, even Jewish tradition would say this would be your highest order of compassion. For sure, a priest and a Levite would do something in that matter, but you know the story. They go around. They're complacent and thus complicit in the impending death of that man laying alongside the road. So Jesus said, along comes a, a what? That would have ticked him off. Imagine being a Jew, and he says, well, here comes a Samaritan. Well, let's just show you how he puts it. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, say it, everyone, compassion. There's the word. Big word. Important word. Used about a dozen times, mostly about Jesus. But here the Samaritan has it. The word means to yearn from the spleen or from the gut. It, is, it, is to, it means to feel. It means to feel. Just say the word feel. Say it. Because I think sometimes we don't feel for anything. We watch these kids out there wrecking things and doing all good. We say, what are we doing? Let me tell you, they're operating on their feelings. That's what they're doing. We don't want to operate on our feelings. But neither do we want to push them out of our lives. You've heard me say it before. Facts are the engine of our lives and the feelings are the caboose. But you better have the caboose connected to your train. God wants us to feel and not be complacent and thus complicit. Because complacency kills Recently, a friend of mine attacked me with words. I felt it. He claimed I was giving in to those who were promoting the radical side of social justice from this panel discussion we had here several weeks back. He said that all of the whole thing was just feelings, feelings, and no facts. That's not true, but, but I understood his struggle. I, I got what he was trying to get across, but I rejected his suggestion that our feelings should be discarded. And I still reject that. Do you feel? And what if it was you that Jesus was talking to that day? What people group could he use to tick you off? Easy for the Jews. They hated Samaritans. So, okay, there's a Samaritan. What would it be for you? How about a Roman Catholic priest? How about a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness? How about that? That'll get to you. Or some bleeding heart liberal. God forbid they could do something good. Do you feel? Do you care from the gut? And if you do, what do you care for? Are you complacent when you witness the hatred and the lawlessness that's out there right now pervading our, our land, when you witness injustice? Or do you say, well, it's not in my neighborhood. Praise God. Complacency can kill. 
Listen, Jesus was compassionate, but he was never complacent. And I'm just going to put them up there right now. Every one of these references you're looking at, we're not going to go to them all, but every one of them is a reference to Jesus. Using the exact same word for compassion, to yearn from the gut. And he was compassionate toward the sick and healed them. Are you? He was compassionate for hungry people. And he fed them. And he was compassionate for those who were lost, as he says in Matthew chapter 9, and seeing, seeing the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd, he had, say it, same word, compassion towards them. They were lost. When you look at lawlessness, and you see people acting like wild and crazy and just insane at times, do you just get angry or complacent because it's not in your neighborhood? Or you say, oh, God, they don't know you. They're lost. Don't murder people. Minister to them. What does compassion look like right here? Right here at Sailorville Church. That might be a good question. What's it look like in you? Now, if I'd had my druthers, and I wish I did, I would have uh, carved out a big old circle here in the middle of our sanctuary for this service. And at this point in the service, I would have, I would have gotten Darlene Wims and Donna Godwin and Dave Tashner. I would have gotten these people, I would have, and I would have had them bring out all of our Rise Up kids. Right there, right in the middle, making noises. And then I'd have Paul come off the stage with his guitar and just start ripping on it. Because then you'd hear them. They'd start dancing around Paul, just like you're seeing here in this picture. This is, we caught this. There, there. He got, this is Paul's highlight right here every, every week. When he, when he goes from leading in worship, he goes up there and they start dancing. And this young lady... I mean, Paul's not Jesus, but he's really, really close. I think, she has a, I think she has a fat head of Paul on her bedroom wall. But you hear him singing, making noises. It must be beautiful, the heart of God. And every time, and I'm not up there much, but when I am... I'm rendered to tears every time. And I'm reminded what a God of compassion we have who pours his compassion into the hearts of his servants who love those whose society, at least parts of it, would say they, they're just a burden. Don't murder. Minister to the glory of God. One day, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. Remember that story? And then in the middle of it, he said, hey, 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 I'm the bread of life. 
You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want eternal life. And they said, hey, this is a little too heavy for us. We're out of here. And they left. They just bugged out. And in John 6, in verse 68, Jesus says to his disciples, who are, I mean, they're the only ones hanging around. They don't have anywhere to go. Are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, why would we ever do that? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, who is life itself, died for you and rose again. If you want the love of God to be poured upon your heart, you've got to come to know Jesus. If you come to know Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. If you get the Holy Spirit, you get, you get God's love poured out in you. It can come out of you. You can have his compassion, but you got to know him. you got to have a relationship with him. you got to repent of your sin and believe on him. And then you'll have the words of eternal life. I'd rather have those than the ones that put people to death. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we love you and how we thank you for your commands and for this one that has taken us a little deeper than just the diabolical act itself of murder. You've told us in your word and through your son that we can murder in other ways. And Lord, even as I pray, I, another scripture came to my mind that says that most men can hold up under any infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? Is there someone in this room or someone's in this room that would say, I have wounded and killed with my words, with my attitude, with my anger? And would you just confess that right now? Lord, we thank you for government. Thank you for our governor. Thank you for all those who protect us like our police officers and our soldiers. They, they have tall tasks upon them now. Less regarded, sadly so. May your church rise up, dear God, and be the church filled with the loving compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And go forth with the words of life, we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand.